This week on A Lively Experiment, the McKee administration is in full gear. We'll tell you how his first full week has gone. And you're going to be hearing a lot about plans for legalized marijuana over the next several months. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by For more than 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen-White, Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Joining us for a Reporters' Roundtable, Providence Journal State House reporter Patrick Anderson, WPRI Target 12 investigator Steph Machado, and Boston Globe reporter Dan McGowan. Welcome to Lively, everyone. I'm Jim Humble. Well, his predecessor likened the transition to drinking out of a fire hose, and it has been all of that for Governor Dan McKee in his first full week, from continuing to tweak the COVID vaccine, uh, vaccination plan to carving out a budget. He has made some sig- subtle yet significant changes to let everybody know that there is a new sheriff in town. Uh, I'm glad we have a reporters panel because, folks, a lot of what we do resol- revolves around the state house. Before we dive into the issues, I just wanted to kind of do a little around the horn and ask what you guys have seen maybe in your first week and how it's going to be for you as a reporter covering it at a McKee administration as opposed to a Ramundo administration. Patrick, let's start with you as you're up there every day. Well, we're we're waiting for the first uh, thing to hit McKee that he's not expecting and for him to branch out a little bit. Right now, he's kept everything very focused on COVID and vaccinations. I think he says shots in the arms uh, and over under of 50 times at every <laughs> press event, uh, and w- which is which is right for what he's facing. But at some point, he's going to have to deal with broader issues outside of COVID and things he doesn't expect. And we got a, a little taste of, of how he deals with uh, hostile questioning um, and stuff coming at him this week. And, you know, he needs a little work on that. It's, it's, uh, he, he's, he's keeping it, things very short. Uh, and, you know, you don't get the really wide uh, answers that you got from uh, Governor Raimondo, uh, who's very practiced at answering questions in uh, Veep, interviews and debates and can expound um, for a very long time on a wide range of subjects, very nuanced detail. He keeps things very short, very simple, uh, and and says things like, uh, you know, this is important, that's the end. Um, so we're going to see if, if things broaden out a little bit uh, and he, as he kind of gets his feet. Yeah, uh, stay positive, test negative. How many, what's the over under on that? Steph, what have you seen? Yeah, I think that Governor McKee is, uh, of course, starting to learn that everything he says now carries a lot of weight, right? When he was lieutenant governor, he could criticize the Raimondo administration or criticize a policy, and it didn't. he didn't have the power to change it, so it didn't have as much weight. Now he's seeing that people really listen to what he says, and if he isn't able to articulate a clear answer on something, it's going to confuse the public. And we saw that a little bit earlier this week. He had a little bit of a flub where he appeared to say that people with underlying conditions could sign up for vaccines, and then his office had to walk it back and say, no, they're going to be able to sign up very soon, but it's not official yet. Um, We saw it during the transition a bit when he called a press conference on his front lawn to say that (laughs) teachers need to get vaccinated. He ended up walking that back, and then once he became governor, of course, he has now um, put into place a vaccination program for teachers. But I think that's something he's 
learning as he continues to be questioned by reporters about a variety of topics, even though he might be at an event to talk about COVID. Of course, reporters have many other things to ask him about. He has great power now. He has a budget coming out um, later today that touches on many topics. So that is just a, a learning curve, I think, a little bit for the new governor. Dan? Yeah, I mean, I agree with my colleagues here. The thing that's been most interesting, as as uh, Patrick was kind of saying, you know, traditionally when we, if, if you're meeting a new politician, someone running for office for the first time or someone running for a big job for the first time, uh, you know, on the debate stage, they, they have a minute to answer a question and they'll take 40 seconds and then they'll just stop. And, and it's, it's usually like this rite of passage where the, the experienced ones, the Gina Raimondos of the world, learn to... Uh, you know, fill that time slot and go way beyond. Um, and I think in, in Dan McKee's case, Dan's got plenty of experience, but not on this scale. And so like Patrick said, you know, you, you ask him a question and sometimes he answers with one word, two words, stay positive, test negative, things like that. So it is, it's very much a learning curve. Um, you know, he's going to get the hang of this. So he'll, he'll end up being, you know, more seasoned by the time he runs for, you know, the reelect next year. But uh, right now it's, it's a little bit of, uh, you know, I want to get my, you know, my kind of my written points in my head across and then say nothing else. Uh, Patrick, it's a little bit different with the budget this year. Um, we are taping on a Thursday morning. They're going to have the briefing midday. And so by the time you watch this, a lot of those plans will be coming out. Have you been able to glean anything? I know they'll do the virtual hearing. We all used to sit around the conference room, and that's changed a little bit. And Now, he's helped, obviously, by this huge windfall of federal money. But with that come decisions also. What are you hearing about his priorities? Well, on the federal money, the, the federal money, I, I don't believe, is going to be uh, in this. Uh, they're, they're going to, that's going to be the legislature's uh, Christmas present um, to have all that extra money to play with. Um, at least that's what, what I under, understand. Um, so, and then I, I think it's an open question of, of how far McKee goes into new terrain beyond the things that the Raimondo administration and the different agencies have been working on. Um, and I don't, I don't know of anything. I don't know if there's, there's any um, big uh, new project uh, coming out. Uh, we expect marijuana uh, legalization to be on the agenda again. Um, and, but um, I, don't, I think it's a big question. That's one of the things we're really looking at is beyond COVID, what are McKee's uh, big priorities? But you would think car tax phase out and the, the CCRI, which now the promise program, which the legislature's behind, you would think those two are locked in at the very least, right? Yes, especially car tax. Um, and, but we, we, don't, we don't know, I don't know quite as much on, on promise and, and what his vision is for that. Um, it seems to have support in the legislature, so that, that would be a good sign for it. Um, but again, he's just been very guarded on what what kind of new things might be on his mind. Dan, I, I, I don't know about your inbox. All of a sudden, Seth Magaziner seems very interested in everything from Zamborano Hospital to stuff that I actually sent a, an email back to his press person. She probably doesn't know what to do with me. I said, stay in your lane, people. Um, now we look toward the 2022, and I know that's way off, but this changes the dynamic now with McKee. And so he's really having a test between now and a year and a half from now when he gets into the, the heart of the primary season. What about the dynamic? You wrote about this, about um, 
how his being in the seat now is going to affect the governor's race a year and a half from now. Well, it changes everything. I mean, look, you know, here's an, an interesting little tale from just a few months ago. Right before the, 20, uh, the 2020 elections, there was some polling done um, to test the, uh, the Rhode Island, the plantations question, Providence plantations question. The people who did the poll wanted to see just an early look at who was going to be popular in the 2022 governor's race. They tested Merrill Lorza, they tested Seth Magaziner, they tested Nelly Gorbea. They forgot about Dan McKee. Now, suddenly, Dan McKee is you know, gonna be seen as the favorite just because of he, he's the incumbent. So he has so much uh, you know, ability to be such a big factor now. Um, and you know, when you look at the, in the terms of the budget, He's get, he gets two chances. He gets today or this week when he rolls out his budget, and then he gets his next one, you know, a year from now uh, to, to roll that out and to have the new programs in there to use the federal stimulus money to kind of say to Rhode Islanders, hey, look what I've done for you. Um, but you're going to see now everybody else, you know, you're going to see certainly Seth Magaziner is all of a sudden he's everywhere. Um, I think you'll start to see that with Nellie Gorbea. Uh, and I think Mara Lorza you know, who, who very much wants to do this, and he's going to have the money to do this, is going to be the candidate that's going to be kind of pulling everybody to the left, right? He's going to want to talk about reparations like he's doing in Providence, you know, uh, the guaranteed income, things like that. I think it's going to be really fascinating to watch because Dan McKee probably wants to say, hey, I'm the adult in the room. I reopened the economy. I, you know, got all this money here, got vaccines done. What did I do wrong? Why wouldn't you reelect me? Washing machines at City Hall for everybody, right, Dan? That'll be the Alorza plan. Uh, Steph, I wonder, and this is a crystal ball question, with the electorate, when they, look, people know when people are running for office, they kind of walk and chew gum. But as you see Seth Magaziner talking more about larger, you know, uh, statewide issues and Nellie Gorbea, does that rub the electorate the other way or do they just kind of figure that's the way it goes? Because we're going to see a lot of people kind of not staying in their lane the next year because they don't want McKee to get so far out in front of them. I don't know if it rubs them the wrong way. They're not getting the press releases in their inbox, and so it might not even permeate. <laughs> it rubs us the wrong way, right? <laughs> it, might not even, it might not even permeate to them, and they also might want to know what these people think about a variety of topics because, you know, listen, I cover Providence, which is a more liberal city in our state, and I hear a lot of people say, I like Magaziner and Gorbea, for example. And so I do think people are trying to, you know, we're, we're very, it's very early. We don't know what the field is going to be yet, but I do think people are trying to distinguish these Democrats from one another. So it could be helpful for people to understand where these various folks stand on a variety of issues. And, you know, people are going to have to make decisions. We have three potential candidates that Dan mentioned that are all to the left of McKee. And so someone is going to need to emerge as the front runner at some point on the more liberal uh, wing of the field, you know, if this is the field. What about the race, Patrick? I know it begins, uh, well, it hasn't officially begun, but everybody's jockeying. And then there's also fundraising, too, and Magaziner has done very well at that. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting time because you want to define yourself. If you're one of these candidates, none of them have huge name recognition. None of them are, are, are big personalities. And really, their first job is to get that name recognition up. But it's a, it's a weird time to do it with still a pandemic, still this vaccination uh, push, 
and you, you don't know exactly how far you want to push the boat out. It's, it's way too early probably to get really negative since it, as the campaign hasn't actually started. So it's a real balancing act is to try to get that name recognition, define yourself rather and, and give your, your future opponent less of a chance to define you. While there isn't the well, there aren't the usual issues and controversies popping up, and everything is so focused on COVID. Steph, you mentioned the vaccination program, and that it was funny. I, I forgot about that. It seems like ancient history. Dan McKee held an impromptu press conference, like on his front lawn on a Saturday. Apparently, he doesn't know the staffing levels of television uh, and the media. So I don't know. There's you know one camera and maybe a producer. Um, what about the vaccination rollout? That's been his big focus, as it should be. Um, roll back the teachers, but now the teachers are priority. And I also find it maybe a little bit ironic. I don't know if it's intentional. You know, the unions have had issues with him because of his support for the charter schools over the years. I know that he's not doing this for political purposes, but it's a bonus that I think a lot of teachers are going to have goodwill toward him come next year um, because they remember that he made them a priority. That's right. I mean, if you watched his press conference the other day where he announced the teacher vaccination program, the union leaders were speaking and I was like, am I watching an endorsement rally for his you know, 2022 campaign? So, you know, he says he's doing it because getting the teachers vaccinated means schools can be fully open. It means the economy can be fully open. Those are valid reasons. But there's obviously, as you said, this bonus that the teachers unions are looking at him in a very favorable light right now with the election coming up uh, next year. But, you know, we're looking now at a supply issue with the vaccines. And the number one thing in my inbox right now is people with underlying conditions saying, I'm really upset that a healthy young teacher who doesn't have health problems can get a vaccine today. And I still haven't been told when I can sign up. And the, the state only gets as many doses as it gets. A number of dose, a, a big chunk of doses that we're getting next week are slated to go towards second shots for people that got vaccinated in February. So um, it all depends on the supply. And I think you may see people being very upset if they're not able to make an appointment uh, even after they become eligible. Yeah, Dan, he seems pretty confident, but as Steph said, it, he's really banking on the feds coming through. I'm not... I think the Biden administration is talking a good game, but it really relies on the on the pharmaceutical companies now. Yeah, Governor McKee is basically <laughs> placing what what he I, I think is a calculated gamble, right? It is that Joe Biden's going to come through. You know, he said by the end of May that you know everyone who wants a vaccine will have the ability to get it. And I think what Dan McKee is doing, and he's been doing this all along. Part of his strategy has been look, I believe there's going to be enough vaccine available. And so if I say the teachers are going to get it and then the people, you know, 65 and over at one point, which was in question, are going to get it. And then, you know, we're going to keep going down this list. What he is doing is saying, you know, I think there will be enough. Um, I assume that he has more information than just his gut feeling. Um, It's probably an intelligent move because, again, if – if he sort of ties everything to what the president is saying, if the president can get this one right, and it's the president's most important priority, then it's going to pay off for Dan McKee. Now, if it doesn't work, and like Steph said, you know, if you start to have people saying, wait a minute, I thought I was going to have a vaccine, let's say on June 1st, and I don't have it, well, you know, you can look for all of the, going back to that last conversation, look for everyone to start criticizing him, uh, you know, about not being able to get this done. But right now, He's placing that bet, and um, it's probably an intelligent bet. 
What about that, uh, Patrick, with the vaccine rollout? Yeah, I, I think Rhode Island has been more conservative on who can get the vaccine than other states so far. So he has, I think, some distance to play with. He has some space to be able to open things up a little bit more. Um, and so far, it has proved that supply has increased substantially um, beyond what they know. And it's been a pretty good bet that if you, if you open it up a little more, um, that that supply will come, even if you don't know it now, that it will come in, in a week or two. I think next week, we are going to get another expansion, um, including folks with, with pre-existing conditions or underlying conditions. Um, and, and then he'll keep, he'll keep going from there, uh, in reducing the age. But so, so far, I think there's going to be more Johnson & Johnson coming through, which is a single, single shot. So I think there is more room to widen things and, and increase eligibility, um, although you never, you never know for certain. There can be a quick, quick turnaround if things don't happen. I do want to talk about legalized marijuana in just a second, but uh, I would be remiss. I started at the beginning talking about some subtle yet significant changes. The first was I go to the briefings every week at the Veterans Auditorium, and, and those of you who watch them may have noticed Governor Mundo used to come out and talk for what seemed like an interminable amount of time. She had two people standing on either side and they had to stand kind of shifting back and forth. The first thing we saw, the new sheriff in town, is that the new governor now has a table. Everybody sits. They don't have to get up after their initial presentation. And I just thought, look, I just wanted to go around the horn again and, and ask you guys what you think about those optics. Again, subtle, but in my mind, a little significant. Dan, what did you think when you saw him coming out and having that set up? Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's certainly a, a, a change from this idea of, you know, Governor Romano became very, very comfortable um, taking that stage and, and talking on and on. And, you know, to her credit, for much of the pandemic, certainly the beginning of the pandemic, I think it reassured Rhode Islanders. It, it certainly raised her popularity, things like that. Um, it'd be interesting to see, you know, Governor McKee will probably keep this going for a while. And uh, what I'm interested in is, will he start to dominate the conversation too? I think it's a natural it, when you're the executive to do that. Right now, he's trying to be a little more deferential. Um, but, you know, again, as you start to have really good news, reopening the economy, things like that, you know, if I'm him and I'm, you know, using this in some ways as a free commercial, I would be, you know, I'd spend a lot of time just like Governor Raimondo talking and talking and talking until, you know, the TV stations and, and people like you, Jim, like, you know, say to him, wait a minute, this is too much of a, you know, pro Dan McKee show. Um, and, and, but, you know, right now, I think, yeah, you let the health professionals, you let, you know, Commissioner Infante Green come up and you sort of go about it that way. But, you know, I, I'm skeptical that it will stay that way the whole time. What I found interesting, it's he's running a tight ship. It was about 10 minutes for each. Yeah. He made an initial opening statement. We were out of there in an hour. And, and I was waiting and waiting and waiting. I finally asked, not a token question, but I was the only one to ask him a question. All the other questions went to everybody else, and this was his first full press conference. I thought that was interesting. Steph, what do you make of the new setup? I mean, you know, I think, as we mentioned, Governor Armando was a sort of practiced orator. She could speak for half an hour and, you know, articulate a list of announcements, and you expected any important announcement was coming at the top. This was very different where I was struck by the fact that he let um, Secretary Pryor make the announcements about um, some of the reopening the economy and um, 
expanded capacity for businesses. I expected that to be something he might say off the top to say, I'm reopening the economy, but he just left it to, to step in uh, to Secretary Pryor in his remarks. So just, just a different method where he's letting everyone play to their strengths. Um, as Dan said, we'll see if that continues to be the way as he gets more practiced at the podium. Patrick? Well, he's definitely going to make friends with his cabinet members who have to be up there. Uh, I know some of them probably were not happy about standing in press conferences and not saying anything for over an hour um, and have, having to sit still. Um, he's going to have he's going to have to find his sea legs again a little bit on on being a little more expansive and and connecting with people. Um, and yeah, whether he then whether he moves to the seat right now, they've got the tables where they're sitting, but then they come up to the podium, whether he switches to a Cuomo style desk, more of a news anchor, maybe he'll feel more comfortable that Don't way. Don't say Cuomo in the same, <laughs> he might not appreciate that endorsement. That was just be purely, like. purely, t- purely format wise. Um, yeah, not, co- not content wise. All right, folks, uh, you're going to be hearing a lot about legalized marijuana. Uh, you're going to be hearing a lot from each of these three reporters who have written extensively about it. Steph, let me begin with you. Um, You had a pretty extensive piece this week on WPRI.com. I commend everybody to read it. Lay the table out for what we can expect because last we heard the Senate was standing in the way. We weren't quite sure. And now there's been a sea change. So bring us up to date. Yeah, I mean, the reason that everyone paid such close attention to the Senate bill that came out this week is that for the first year, Senate leadership is behind the effort. Senate President Ruggiero has long been opposed to legalizing marijuana. He um, has changed his mind. He's at least open to it. And he directed members of his leadership to craft a bill. So it's a very serious and, and legitimate effort this year. We're, we do have two different proposals. We have the Senate bill and then we have Governor McKee's um, proposal that's going to, we're taping this Thursday morning, it's going to come out later today. Um, but they both involve a private market where um, businesses will be able to open their own uh, pot shops and and profit off of them, um, you know, of course, under the licensing and regulation of the government. But it's different from what Governor Ramonjo had tried to do last year with state-run um, marijuana stores. Um, the Senate wants to set up this five-member cannabis control commission that would really set all the rules and or many of the rules and oversee uh, all the licenses from the people that grow the plant to the people that manufacture it, test it, sell it. So really putting it all in the hands of this separate commission, which is similar to what we have in Massachusetts. Um, there would be a 20% tax uh, with 3% of that going to a 3% tax that goes directly to the city or town. Um, where the store is located in the Senate bill. Uh, McKee's proposal, uh, we haven't seen yet, but um, it's expected to be a little bit different, keeping the program under DBR, uh, under the administration, and capping the number of stores at least to start at 25. Dan, the big rub was when we talked about this, when they had those shops in Lemonster and the one in Eastern Massachusetts, was a lot of people, it was taxed to death. And there were long lines and a lot of people were like, well, I don't know, I could just go to my dealer and get it a lot Quick, I say that seriously. A lot of people were like, why would I want to pay all this money? So there's there's really a balance, isn't there, in terms of taxing to get revenue for the state, but at the same time, not pricing yourself out of the market. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to like inadvertently open the black market to all of this. I think the thing is, is that you, what you bet on is that there are more people who maybe don't have a 
dealer or who right who who, who might give this a chance um and it, you know if it's legal if they can just go and buy it in a shop and you know to, to that point it, it, you, know, you have a scenario where you could have three up you know at least three retail licenses in almost in every community um <clears throat> at least in theory uh so it will be i think pretty easy to get and so that that may make it easier. I mean, the twenty percent tax. Look, every community, every state that's going to do this wants to benefit from the tax revenue. I think the thing that is really interesting about this is, you know, we've all covered this for years and years and years, watching Massachusetts do it, you know, watching Colorado really do it first. It's amazing what sort of the the politicians, uh, how the politicians have changed in Rhode Island, and what if you if you think your constituents are on board with this, you're perfectly fine with it. I don't think that Dominic Ruggiero for a long time cared all that much about this. And I think he thought he was saying kind of the right thing that maybe my constituents in North Providence don't like this. And so I'm against it. I think there was, you know, the opposition certainly from the speaker, from Speaker Mattiello at the time, you know, was all about his, his community in particular. Now, though, I think these guys kind of don't really care that much. They want to make some money off of it. And they think their constituents are on board. So they're on board. So, Patrick, yeah, the, it, go ahead, Patrick. I was just going to say, yeah, the focus at the state house just even more now is about who gets to open the shops. Uh, it's incredible how much th- that dominates the discussion of who will own the shops, who will work at the shops. And, um, yeah, we assume that they're going to be a huge moneymaker for the people who get those licenses. Um, and But, you know, who, who knows when, when, you know, the, when the tax rates are set and we see how it all shakes out. Um, but there is certainly there's certainly so much positioning on on who gets the licenses uh, in, in up there at the state house. All right, folks. I'm sorry I, we only have a couple of minutes left, so let's try to keep the outrages and or kudos tight and bright. Uh, Ms. Machado, let's begin with you. What do you have this week? Well, this is just on my mind because after we tape this, I'm on my way to cover um, what might be the final day of the trial against Providence Police Sergeant Joseph <clears throat> Hanley. He. This has been an extremely high profile case and the court is unfortunately not allowing reporters to to tweet, to take notes on a laptop, to email their newsroom. And so my ability to inform the public throughout the course of this trial, or you know, seven hour days, has been severely hindered. And it's it's unfortunate, you know, it's it's been a it's been a professional and interesting trial, but in, in 2021, I think um, when the public is not allowed into the courthouse to watch this trial not allowing journalists to really uh, spread the word and, and send dispatches out from the courtroom is um, an unfortunate situation. Yeah, even federal court has gotten it. That's uh, that's a bit of a head scratcher. Patrick, you and Dan have about 45 seconds each. Outrage or kudo, Patrick? Uh, outrage, well, we mentioned McKee's press conference where he announced the teacher vaccinations. It happened at Pawtucket, which was the district that was last to bring back in-person learning. (laughs) And the school committee taking a victory lap and McKee and everyone taking a victory lap on reopening schools when there are vaccinations was a little rich when they didn't acknowledge that just a month earlier, they wanted to cancel all in-person school for the entire year, regardless of vaccinations. Uh, So I'll, I'll leave it there. Dan, you get the last 45 seconds, sir. Yeah, my outrage is something I wrote, reported earlier this week about the Providence giving meters. Remember, those are the <laughs> donation uh, stations that Mayor Lorza set up. And, you know, we, we giggle a little bit about it because they haven't brought in very much money under $3,000 in the last three and a half years. But most importantly, what, what I find to be actually outrageous is that 
the money that has been brought in is sitting in a city account right now and hasn't been donated anywhere. The promise was this money would go to social service organizations. It's not a lot of money, but it provides bus passes potentially. It could go to lots of different things that people can need or can use and they're not getting it right now. Folks, thank you. You are some of the best in the business. Dan McGowan and Steph Machado and Patrick Anderson, an honor to have you on. Uh, you are our eyes and ears up at the State House. Thank you, folks, for joining us. We hope you come back here next week as the Lively Experiment continues. Have a great week. experiment is generously underwritten by for more than 30 years a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders I'm John Hazen White jr. and I'm proud to support this great program in Rhode Island PBS